So this morning in, in Luke's gospel, Luke is going to show us why Peter started following Jesus. And, and the reason Luke does that, I think, is because he wants to encourage all of us either to start following Jesus or to continue following Jesus. And the answer to why Peter started following Jesus is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Now, this passage breaks down into four separate sections. And we're going to take a look at what is Luke's main point in each of those sections and try to put them all together so we see Luke's flow of thought through this passage of Scripture. So let's start with verses 1 through 3, where we see something unusual. Jesus is sitting in a boat out on a lake, teaching the people that are on the shore. So what's going on here? Why is Jesus teaching people while he is sitting in a boat on a lake? Read verses 1 through 3, and notice carefully what Luke emphasizes. Verse 1, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him, Simon, to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, so in verse 1, we see Jesus standing there on the shore of Lake Gennesaret. That's the same as is called in the rest of the New Testament, the Sea of Galilee. And Luke emphasizes that the crowd is pressing in on him because they want to hear the word of God. Now, why was the crowd so interested in hearing the word of God? Well, remember what we saw last week. It's that Jesus being fully God, fully man and fully God, God in the flesh, he taught with absolute authority. And so when he taught, he didn't quote other rabbis or other teachers, and, and most of the time he didn't even quote the Old Testament. He just simply taught with absolute authority because he was absolute authority. So imagine that you were there with these people, and I, I just want to see if you can get a little bit of a taste of the astonishment, the wonder, the, the reason they'd be so motivated to hear Jesus teaching. Okay, Imagine that you're there standing before Jesus, who is God in the flesh, absolute authority, and you hear him saying things like, everyone who sins is a slave of sin, and you will face God's judgment for sin forever unless something changes. And he also said, I'm going to be crucified on the cross, but in three days I will rise again. And my death can forgive you for sin's guilt, and my death can free you from sin's power. So, leave your sin. Repent of your sin. Come to me. Trust in me. Follow me. I will forgive you. I will change you, free you from sin's power. And I will satisfy you with the joy of knowing my presence now and forever. Now, that... that authority and those truths would have astonished you and it astonished all these people which is why they were pressing in on him to hear Jesus teach but now this creates a problem with so many people pressing in to hear Jesus teach how's he able to teach them all the numbers are getting too large 
And so what does Jesus do? This is the second point that Luke emphasizes. Jesus sees two boats nearby, and he gets in the boat owned by Simon Peter and asks Peter to take him a little ways out into the lake. And this is probably an, an inlet, so that when Peter took him out in the lake and Jesus sat down and he faced the people, they were probably surrounding him kind of like it was an amphitheater, so he could, he could teach everyone. And so now, with that him being out on the boat, everyone could hear him teaching God's word. Okay, so here's verses 1 through 3. Why does Luke emphasize the people's passion to hear the word of God and Jesus' commitment to teaching the word of God to everyone? I think it's to show that simply this, the people are passionate to hear the word of God and Jesus is committed to teaching, even to the extent of getting into a boat and going out into the lake. That's the point of verses 1 through 3. But now I think at this point, Luke knows that that there's a question that's going to be raised in our minds. And the question is, okay, if the crowds keep growing, if people keep wanting to hear the teaching of the Word of God, if the crowds are going to be growing this much, how can everyone be taught? And I think Luke answers that question in verses 4 through 11. Look at what he says in verse 4. And when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. In other words, get back in the boat, go out into the deep water, put your nets down again. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Okay, now, Peter was a professional fisherman. And he knew that the best time to fish was at night, which is why the previous night he'd been up all night fishing but even after fishing all night, he came back with nothing. Not even the littlest, tiniest fish was in the bottom of his boat. And this would have been a serious problem because this was how Peter paid his bills. This is how Peter provided for his family. So this would have been deeply troubling for Peter to come back after all night of fishing and not having anything caught. So what happens? Jesus finishes teaching the crowds. And everyone's starting to go home. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So Peter answers that he's fished all night. He's caught nothing, but he will do what Jesus says. And then look at what happens starting in verse 6. And when they had done this, when they took the boat out, put the nets down, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now this is obviously a massive catch of fish. Again, notice how Luke emphasizes this. Luke says it was a large number of fish. He says it causes, caused the nets to start breaking. It filled up Peter's boat. It also filled up James and John's boat. So many fish that both boats started to sink. Now, these boats were not tiny boats. Um, they've, they've, archaeologically, they found some boats that are probably from this time, and they measured about eight meters long and about two and a quarter meters wide. So these were, these were good size, and they'd always been big enough to hold any catch they got up to this point. But here in one 
One fell swoop, Peter catches so many fish that it fills two boats so much that they're starting to sink. Now, look at how Peter responds to this. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So picture it. Peter falls down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, what happened to cause Peter to see that he was such a sinful man? Well, we could think, and some commentators do think, that it's because of what Peter said earlier, that he hesitated when Jesus asked him to put the nets out. He hesitated, we fished all night. Now, that might have been part of it, but I think that misses the big clue that Luke gives us for what most deeply showed Peter his sinfulness. Notice the word for at the beginning of verse 9. Peter says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And then Luke says, for, or because, in other words, here's why Peter said that, because he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So it's when Peter saw the size of the catch that he was so gripped with the fact that he was a sinful man. Now, why? I think it's because the size of the catch was another demonstration to Peter of two aspects of who Jesus was, Jesus' compassion and Jesus' authority. And this display of tender compassion and absolute authority, again, showed that Jesus is God, perfect God, righteous, glorious, holy God. And in comparison to God, I am a sinful man. I think that's what's happening here. Now, think about how Jesus' compassion is, is shown here. I mean, Peter had been up all night fishing, trying to earn money to feed his family, and he'd caught nothing. And when Jesus finished teaching, he could have thanked Peter for the use of his boat, and Jesus could have just, just walked away. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus had compassion on Peter. Jesus cared for Peter. Jesus loved Peter. Peter, and said, put your nets out one more time. And Peter ended up with two boats overflowing with fish. So this shows Jesus' compassion. And Peter's been seeing Jesus' compassion. Remember last week, Peter saw Jesus' compassion in the way that Jesus healed his, Peter's, mother-in-law from a high fever, and then saw Jesus heal a whole town full of people who were sick. He healed every one of them and he cast out many demons. So Peter's been seeing Jesus' compassion and now he sees Jesus' compassion directed personally towards him. He spent all night trying to fish, caught nothing. How am I going to buy food for the family today? And then Jesus gives him this massive catch of fish because Jesus cares for him. And so Jesus is going to see beautiful, tender, perfect, loving, compassion. Peter's going to see that in Jesus. 
Now, Peter also saw Jesus' absolute authority in this picture. Peter knew Jesus was no ordinary man. Peter knew that this man was, was God. I mean, think about the authority. How did Jesus cause all these fish to be caught by, by Peter? How did that happen? Jesus must have commanded this massive school of fish to swim towards Peter's boat and swim right into the, the net. Jesus commanded, and all these fish filled Peter's nets until they were breaking. So again, Peter is seeing Jesus' authority, which he also saw in last week's passage. Remember, last week, Peter saw that Jesus could command a demon to come out of a man who was in the synagogue, and the demon immediately left the man. And Peter saw that Jesus could rebuke the fever that was in his mother-in-law, and the fever immediately left his mother-in-law. And so then here he sees an even more clear and beautiful and personal display of Jesus' absolute authority. So when Peter saw Jesus' tender compassion and absolute authority, and he saw that this is no ordinary man, this is God, God in the flesh. And the reason I think that that's what Peter saw was notice in verse 5, before this happens, Peter calls Jesus master, which was a term for a respected teacher. But in verse 8, after Peter receives this massive catch, after he sees Jesus' tender, compassionate, absolute authority, he calls Jesus Lord. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, in the New Testament, the word Lord doesn't always mean God, but it often does. And I think the fact that we see Peter switching from master in verse 5 to Lord in verse 8 shows that Peter is growing in his understanding that Jesus Christ, this man standing in front of me, is God in the flesh. So Peter knew, I am in the presence of God here. He sees the beautiful, tender compassion of Jesus and the powerful, absolute authority of Jesus. And as he saw God's perfection in this man, Jesus, God's righteousness, holiness in his compassion, in his authority, he saw his own sinfulness in comparison. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In other words, he knew that a God with this perfect compassion and this absolute authority could never be in the presence of sin. And so I think with great sorrow, he asks Jesus, Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. So let me ask you, this is really important. Have you ever felt God's greatness so much? God's perfect compassion so much. God's absolute authority, God's righteousness, God's holiness. Have you ever felt God's greatness so much that you knew you were not worthy to be in God's presence? See, this was a crucial step for Peter in becoming a follower of Jesus. And it's a crucial step for each of us in becoming followers of Jesus. So have you seen that? If not, ask God to pour that out upon you. Ask God to humble you. Ask God to so show you his 
compassion, his authority, his glory in Christ, so that in comparison you see your own sinfulness and you realize God cannot coexist with somebody like you with your sin unless something changes, which we'll get to in a moment. And God, you, are, you're, you cannot be in the presence of God. You're not worthy to be in his presence. So ask God to help you see and feel that. But now look at how Jesus answers him. Peter's just said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And now look at Jesus' answer in the rest of verse 10. This is beautiful. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's saying to Peter and to all of us, do not be afraid. I do not need to depart from you. I am here to save you. And the rest of the New Testament explains how Jesus saves us. And it's through what he's done on the cross, dying on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he was being punished not for his own sins. He was sinless. But he was being punished for the sins of all those who would put their trust in him. And so what this means is when you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, all your sins are forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, all forgiven. Not only that, you're remaining indwelling sin because you don't become perfect when you're saved. Your remaining sin is completely covered by Jesus' perfect righteousness given to you as a gift. And so when God looks at you, he sees you as perfectly righteous in Christ. And not only that, but from that moment on, Jesus starts freeing you from sin more and more so that you will be sinning less and less and less until finally when you die and enter into heaven at that moment, Jesus will completely free you from all remaining sin and you will be sinless and there in the presence of God, blameless and sinless forever. That's why Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. And that's why Jesus would be saying to you today, do not be afraid. But now keep reading the rest of verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, that word men is a, is a generic Greek word uh, describing both men and women, all right? So here's what Jesus is saying. Peter, following me means a whole new life purpose. You've been living your life catching fish. Nothing wrong with that. But from now on, you're going to be catching people, men and women, you're going to be teaching people the word of God. You're going to be seeing people come to faith just as you have come to faith. And then verse 11, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, followed Jesus. Now here Jesus is starting to call the 12 apostles who, as we will see later in Luke, Jesus gives authority to them. And he commissions them to go out and to preach the word of God, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. He gives them authority to do that. That's how the word of God will be able to be spread to more and more and more, even as the crowds get larger and larger and larger. So remember, I think in verses 4 through 11, Luke is answering that question. If the crowds keep getting larger, how can people, how can they all be taught by Jesus raising up apostles? But now we can apply this to us as well. We're not called to be apostles like they were, but every follower of Jesus is called to leave everything in the sense of leaving all of our sin, 
And we are all called to share God's word with others. So let me just ask you to think about this some. Just take a pause here for a moment. Everyone listening, ask yourself, have you left all your sin? That doesn't mean that you now are perfect, but it means are you battling every sin that you're aware of? There should be no area of sin that you're clinging to willfully saying, I'm going to hang on to this one. No, leave every area of sin. Turn from every individual, every single sin, and Jesus will help you do that. And then also ask yourself, not just have you left your sin, but are you sharing the word of God with people? Are you telling people about Jesus? Now, now here's the good news. We can't do either of these by ourselves, but Jesus will help us. He will totally help us. He will help you stop sinning. He will help you fight temptation. He will help you overcome sin. And he will give you the courage that you need to share the good news of Jesus with other people. Oh, God knows we need courage. We can all be timid, but he will give you courage. He will give you grace to, to step out and do that. And so as we look to Jesus and as we trust him, he will help us leave our sin and move out and share the good news of Jesus with other people. Okay, so here's what we've seen in this passage so far. Verses one through three. Luke emphasizes the crowds are passionate to hear Jesus teach, and Jesus is committed to teach. And so it raises the question then, if the crowds are growing this much, how can everyone be taught? And I think Luke answers that question in verses 4 through 11 by showing that Jesus raises up others, apostles, who are going to teach God's word to more people. And that's Peter, James, and John. And we're not apostles, but we're also called to share God's word with people. Now, at this point, though, I think Luke realizes that we, his readers, might have a question. We've just seen that following Jesus means leaving everything in the sense of leaving all of our sin. And following Jesus means sharing God's word with others. But neither of those are, is, are easy. Both of those are costly. So Luke knows we might be wondering at this point if following Jesus is worth it. Is it really worth it? And I think Luke answers that question in the next section. So let's ask, what do we gain by following Jesus? Luke, what do we gain? What did Peter gain? What will I gain by following Jesus? And look at verses 12 through 14. Start with verse 12. This is beautiful. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities... There came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he, Jesus, charged him, the man just healed, to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. Now, as I read over this passage, I saw that here again, Luke is emphasizing Jesus' authority and Jesus' compassion. Let's start with Jesus' compassion. This man was a leper. Remember last week I talked about the movie Ben-Hur, which helps us see how heartbreaking leprosy can be. Leprosy was a horrifying 
disease. And this man was full of leprosy. He's desperate to be healed, as we see from the way he falls on his face and begs Jesus to heal him. In verse 13, this is a beautiful picture of Jesus, fully God, God's perfect, tender compassion. Look at it displayed here in Jesus. Here is God's compassion in Jesus. Remember, lepers were regarded as unclean, both spiritually, religiously, and physically because of how contagious leprosy was. But here is Jesus, God in the flesh, touching this leper. He touches him. Oh, what an amazing thing. And then he says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves him. So this is such a tender, beautiful picture of perfect compassion. This is also a beautiful picture of Jesus' authority. This man was full of leprosy. And what happens when Jesus says, be clean? Luke says, immediately the leprosy leaves him. And Jesus tells the man, go straight to the priest so that the priest can confirm that you're healed so that you can enter back in to be part of society again. Now, I think here Luke's point is to answer the question, what do we gain from following Jesus? And I don't think the answer is just healing. I mean, the Bible says we will all be healed by Jesus, either in this life or in the life to come. It's a beautiful promise. But I don't think that's Luke's point here. I think Luke's point here is that what we're going to gain by following Jesus is Jesus. We're going to gain this friend, this God, this Lord, this teacher, this Savior who has perfect compassion and absolute authority. I mean, just think of the mingling together of those attributes again. You can know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has perfect compassion for you, tender compassion for you. The measure of his love and care and compassion for you is the cross. That's the cost he was willing to bear in order to care for you and to save you. And to imagine having a friend, a Savior, a God, a Lord who has that level of compassion, perfect compassion, and who has absolute authority. So not only does he care about you, but he has the authority to act on his care for you in every single situation that you're in. So you can have Jesus. That's what you gain by following Jesus is Jesus, to know him in his compassion, in his authority, to have heart fellowship with him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to pour out your soul before him, to pray, to seek his face, to enjoy experiencing him filling your heart with his love and with his presence now, and to know that that will continue on forever, that nothing will separate you from the love of Christ forever. What you gain from following Jesus is Jesus. And that is the best news ever because Jesus is our all-satisfying treasure now and forever. But Luke is not finished. One more point he wants to make. I think he wants to answer the question, how do we experience more of Jesus? See, 
Peter looked at his old life and compared his old life to what he could have in following Jesus. And he said, I want Jesus. Look at that compassion. Look at that authority. And God wants each of us to look at, look at our old life of sin and to compare that with what it could be to know Jesus and to say, I want Jesus. But so the question is, how can we experience more of Jesus? And I think Luke answers that in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, but now even more the report about him, Jesus, went abroad. Even more the news about him was spreading. And great crowds gathered to hear him. It was a crowd in verse 1 of this chapter. Now it's great crowds, plural. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places, mountains, valleys, places where he would meet other people. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So even more people are hearing about Jesus. The crowds are growing even larger. They want to be taught. They're there to be healed. But Jesus would often, I mean, he would teach and he would heal, but he would often withdraw to pray. Why? It's because that's what sustained him. That's what strengthened him. That heart fellowship with God the Father, thanking the Father, loving the Father, rejoicing in the Father, pouring his soul out before the Father, asking for strength, asking for help from the Father. That sweet heart fellowship with the Father was what strengthened and filled and sustained him. Prayer is the means by which Jesus had the most full experience of God the Father while he was here on earth. And that is how we will have the most full experience of Jesus the Son and God the Father by the Holy Spirit while we are here on earth. What will fill you? What will sustain you? What will strengthen you? Is heart fellowship with God through Jesus as you pray. As you pray, you'll be fellowshipping with Jesus the Son, God the Father, by the Holy Spirit. That's how you'll be strengthened and sustained and comforted. That's how you experience more of Jesus. And don't we all need that during this time? I mean, I was talking to my father this last week, and he's in a skilled nursing home down in the Los Angeles area in the U.S. And he was telling me how hard it is with, he's got, he's got cabin fever, he said. Cabin fever he, where you feel cooped up and he can't leave his room. And he just said, oh, it's, not, it's hard. I, I can't leave my room. And, and so we, we talked about that and, and we prayed together about that and just prayed that God would fill his room with such an outpouring of his love that my father would be completely, that he wouldn't want to leave the room that the presence of God would be so real to him there as he's praying and meditating on the scriptures and worshiping, that he would be filled and that that sense of, of antsiness, of cabin fever would just diminish and he'd be filled with the peace of God. And see, God can do that for you as the days go on. The days go on of not being able to see other people. The days of not having freedom of movement. The days of, of having your children be there and you're not used to that and they're not used to that. And, and oh, God needs to give all of, all of you patience for that. The, the, the difficulties, the fear about is this sore throat? What does this mean? Does that drive the coronavirus? Or as you hear about rumors of, of you know, job problems as benefits or salaries are being cut or rumors of them being cut. And all of these things, 
We need to experience more of the heart-satisfying, faith-strengthening presence of Jesus, and that will happen for us, just as it did through Jesus, as we take time apart all by ourselves to pray. The children maybe are on their iPads, maybe they're playing a, doing a puzzle, and you can sit in the couch and open up your Bible and meet the living God through Jesus and pour your soul out upon him. That's what will strengthen and sustain you. So everyone who's listening, here's what I want to call you to do this morning. Here's my call to you. First of all, see Jesus' authority. See his authority over fish, all those fish, and over a man who was full of leprosy. See Jesus' absolute authority. And see Jesus' tender compassion to give Peter such a great catch of fish and to heal this man of his leprosy. So see Jesus in his authority and his compassion and understand this is God. See God's perfections in Jesus, God's blamelessness in Jesus, God's holiness and righteousness in Jesus. And let this see, help you see afresh your sinfulness. Yes, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. And, and just come to God and acknowledge, I'm a sinful woman. I'm a sinful man. And confess your sin to him. And then hear Jesus say, do not fear. Trust me. You will be completely forgiven through my death on the cross. And then hear Jesus also say, now leave your sin. All of it. Follow me, Jesus says, and start sharing the word of God with the people around you. And understand then that as you do that, you will receive Jesus. Jesus. Authority, compassion, the joy of knowing God in Jesus. You will have your heart filled with Jesus now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would use this message to touch each of us exactly where we're at. I pray that you'd convict of sin those who have not seen their sin before you, those who thought they could make themselves good enough to be worthy of you. I pray that right now you would so show them your perfect authority, compassion, and everything else about you that they would see they are sinful people so they would confess their sin to you see their need for the cross, and trust you. I pray, Lord, you'd strengthen those who want to leave their sin but are battling and are struggling. Oh, Lord, strengthen them with your absolute authority and your tender compassion. So satisfy their hearts in yourself that sin's pull loses its power. Help those who are struggling to leave their sin right now. Set them free. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet all of those who are battling discouragement, frustration, impatience, hopelessness, fear, worry, anxiety, uh, just antsiness, cabin fever. Lord, I pray that we could each have sweet time seeking your face in prayer and that you would meet us through Jesus. You would pour your love into our hearts, our, your strength into our hearts, your comfort into our hearts, and that we would be strengthened and established and sustained. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.